Okay. But they Maybe. picked him up today. They picked him up again. That doesn't bring the girl's life back. No, it doesn't. God. It's so upsetting. Oh, oh my gosh. Was this the apartment building that's like kind of like a white, it looks kind of historic? I don't know what the apartment building looks like. Okay. I just heard it. It's like now on a lot of news stations, Cause like national fr- news. A friend of mine posted this week about how her apartment building has been in the news because someone got murdered. That's but it I- then. That's got to oh, be it. My friend Beth lives there. That's crazy and also dangerous because he's just like so a predator that your friend is like in that same building i hate oh it oh my gosh this is cr- i can't i also cannot believe that i missed this all week this is your type of thing this is my thing maybe it's because i was in farmville virginia were, all week in the middle in the wrong of state <laughs> nowhere yeah but that happened oh my gosh but they picked him up today so Thank that's good god yeah i hope he rots for the rest of his life yeah well he will now fourth offense yeah and also <laughs> like this is like a murder the others were like violent sexual crimes but not murders <laughs> also still also still. what yeah exactly. i love that we're like i know he'll do violent sexual crimes three times but like <laughs> evolve into murder i don't think so no absolutely not so well, that was a really depressing start to the show. I thought yeah. you would, would definitely know of this murder. I did not. Wow. I'm shocked. I'm really sorry um, to put a downer on this. Well, and, unfortunately, we're not here to talk about that because no. that's all I want to do at the moment. Yeah. We're here to talk about history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance but keep in mind we are drinking the entire time and we are not historians and we are not experts in any of the fields oh, <laughs> that we I, did tonight dr I, misty knows and she does this to us every time and i'm so sorry i'm gonna we love you we love you and and tess i tried <laughs> <laughs> this is the request season i'm not an outdoorsman outdoorswoman i did my very best i know you live in the other side of the country, Idaho, <laughs> where is that people... the other side? Yeah, Idaho is like. I mean, it only has two states between it and the coast. Really, it's like Idaho, Montana, Washington. I always picture it like next to Michigan. It might be those are big states out there. I don't know what's going on, frankly, <laughs> in the north center of the U.S. That area is a mystery. But to we me. do know ten cool facts about Idaho. <laughs> yes, it do. Thanks to Tess. Okay. So these are two wonderful people. We'll toast to you guys in a minute. Yes. Um, oh, but we're drinking the whole time. Yeah, and we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. Um, but we are going to have a good time. We're going to talk about some cool ladies. Yeah. Um, but you're busy. You're watching YouTube, <laughs> yes. right? And you're trying a new hairstyle. You're trying one of those braids and both yes. your hands are busy with one of those braids that like they look so you. I look at it every time and I'm like, that's attainable. <laughs> Let me tell you, I've. I have French braided my hair every night this year. Sure. That was my goal in January. I was like, I'm going to teach myself how to French braid. So I can French braid on other people's hair. I can only do it on mine. Oh, that's funny. Like, cause I do my <laughs> daughter's hair when they want it French braided. Yeah. I can only do it on mine and I've been working at it every day that, and it's like the only goal that I've stuck really to. Good. <laughs> Good. Good. But anyways, you're doing uh, that. You're doing that. You're achieving your hair goals, so you can't stop and look up what these women look like. We're going to describe them for you. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? So I am doing Sarah Chizzy Farrington, and that, 
I'm actually doing like a ton of women, but she's the main person I'm doing. There's okay. just not a ton of information about her. Mm -hmm. She's a white woman with short curled brown hair. Most of her pictures are blurry and from far away because <laughs> she's always standing next to a huge fucking fish. Oh, so cool. like, you know, the kind that they're like hung up on the dock. Oh, yeah. So she's always kind of in one of those. Um, she was sometimes in pants, but pretty much every time I saw her, she was in like one of those almost like knit wool ankle length skirts and then like a fitted blazer top oh, like the okay. 1950s look with uh -huh. like a little hat huh. very professional um i can't believe she wore that on boats but there she was <laughs> uh and then another like big part of this story is going to be helen lerner who looks pretty similar because again the photos are blurry and from far away and um she was cool when I was researching because there was actually super eight footage of her oh, like catching cool. fish. So that was very fun. That's excellent. You know, it's yeah. funny. A group of skateboarders from Baltimore that Paige is friends with just got second place in the White Marlin Open. Yes, I know. <laughs> I like $500,000. So the only connection I have to fishing is the White Marlin Open. And uh -huh. I, I'm going to bring that up at the beginning <gasps> of the story because that's the only thing I really know about it. Me too. Okay. Um, Who are okay. you doing and what does she look like? I am doing Beatrice Hill Tinsley. Beatrice has a round face with a prominent forehead and very like small features. She has short, dark hair, dark, thick framed glasses, and she has those like downturned eyes. Mm -hmm. um, in some pictures, she is with her family and like looking very cute and very 60s, 70s. But most often she is pictured in some kind of university setting doing some very important research and in her google doodle she is looking through a telescope at the stars i love it <laughs> i love it all right are we ready to get into it are you ready to to this drink yes it's so pink and cute and they're fish <laughs> yeah so this is a take on a dark and stormy but i wanted to make it girly so we picked a dark and stormy i discussed this with producer and we said i had to use rum because that's the the drink Ab of the sea absolutely the drink of the sea so uh, a regular dark and stormy is rum, lime juice, and ginger beer. So I did like a spiced rum, lime juice, ginger beer over ice, but I added like some grenadine to the Ooh. bottom to make it pink. So it's kind of really just a cherry dark and stormy. <gasps> and then it's garnished with some Swedish fish. I love it. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Delicious. Also, I know. this is so funny is I'm doing a twist on a classic cocktail. That's funny. <laughs> okay, good. I was like, I don't want to. I'm sure at this point we've 100% repeated a oh, cocktail. We have to. No have. questions. No. But yeah, this I, love this. I love a dark and stormy. Mm. So with a little bit of cherry in it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, it's called Quiet Legend. Quiet Legend. Mm. I like that. Very fun. Okay, what do you know about these <laughs> anglers? The fisherwomen? Yeah. Uh, that's about all I know. Um, I don't know where they are. I'm imagining it's in the Pacific Northwest, but I don't know. Maybe Alaska? Maybe Maine? No, I feel like if they were Maine, they'd be lobster women. So I don't know. Yeah. I <laughs> As we said just a minute ago, the only connection I have to big game fishing. So, like, we live on the bay, and I would go fishing with my grandfather, but it was just traditional trout and bass. Um, and then if we wanted to go out past the Bay Bridge, we could go rock fishing, and that would be, like, a full all day. Mm -hmm. But the real connection to big angler, big game fishing is the White Marlin Open that happens once a year in Maryland. It is a party for the people who aren't fishing. There's like, yeah, there's, you bring coolers and you hang out on the docks. And 
it's the Michael week. Jordan is there. <laughs> <laughs> it's the week that we are actually driving home from the ocean. Mm-hmm. It used to be the week we were there. Mm-hmm. And people go out. They have a certain time limit. Mm-hmm. And then whoever gets the biggest white marlin in that time limit wins for the year. And you win like a huge amount of money. It's out, like I think the top prize is like a million dollars or something. Yeah. And yeah. The second place guys that we know is a bunch of skateboarders. Um, They won like over $500,000. Yeah. Um, And it's just like it's. Oh, Chris Metlick. That's yes. who it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just like so cool. And I didn't really know that it was a thing. And yeah, apparently Michael Jordan goes every year. It's, I mean, it's such a fun. <laughs> on his little boat. <laughs> ta- my friends go every year because they're down at the ocean that uh-huh. week. So they go and like hang out on the pier. Um, and then we also at the Ocean City Boardwalk, Ocean City, Maryland, not New Jersey. They have the casts of the marlins, the two biggest. There's a blue marlin and a white marlin cast like on the pier and also the biggest shark that was ever caught i think a tiger right i think so okay so this test was a little bit hard but i did my absolute best because i couldn't get my hands on the book she wrote like i could get my hands on it but it would have come after the episode Mm -hmm. um i tried like asked my sister to check her library like i did as much as i could but i just read like chapter titles online because that was all that was available (laughs) so i did that and read some summary stuff. I looked at the IGFA, the International Game Fishing Association website, a lot of there. Um, a lot of fishing magazines, a lot of really short fisher women YouTube videos. All of them were five minutes or less. Um, and then I <laughs> got desperate. So I looked up their names in obituaries like across the country. And that's where I found like birth dates and mm. things like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. pretty cool time to talk about them well thanks Tess yeah I'm really really excited Tess uh went studied abroad with Katie in college I don't know if Tess has had her baby yet she's pregnant yeah I see that on uh, Instagram congratulations Tess Mm -hmm. wonderful I hope you give birth before ski season so you can get back out on the slopes maybe you can listen to this while you're in labor (gasps) oh my god (laughs) (laughs) deep breaths deep (laughs) breaths Okay. Okay. Although it's more common to see female anglers now, men are still the large majority of big game fisher people. But our female big game anglers will tell you that there's a long line of female anglers that paved the way for them. In fact, since the start of modern fishing history in the early 20th century, women have participated side by side with men in international tournaments, Hmm. big game angling, chasing, and sometimes were leading in world records, not to mention just going out and catching fish for family dinner. Um, They were often left out of the papers and headlines and magazines, though, because most often they were on the boat because their husband was a famous angler. Okay. Um, But also to get a record, you have to pull in the fish by yourself, which we'll talk about um, in a little bit. Okay. Because I truly don't understand. I don't know how you can be good at fishing yeah so these are the ones where like I, let's just talk about it now you know how they okay. have like a little chair yeah. that you sit on uh-huh. and then the pole goes in the thing on the chair yes you have to like let it out and reel it in and sometimes it takes four or five hours to reel in a fish that big so it is like a stamina and upper body strength oh thing my God. so like female anglers it is a, you do have to like weight lift and train because your body has to be strong and i it's something about like 
somebody can brace your back while you're pulling in a 500 pound fish, but they can't touch the reel. Like you have to be the only person that touches the reel during the, (laughs) during the fishing. (laughs) Okay. Now, do you know how do like, I, I understand like now we have like sonar and stuff, but like, is that also part of it? Like knowing where to go to get the fish? It is because it's kind of a team. Like it's the captain of the boat who like has to figure out the direction of the water and how the fish is going to swim. So they're trying to keep the fish like corralled in. You're trying to give it enough loose that it's because it's strong. It could pull the wire. You know what I mean? So you're trying to give it enough, like give and go. And yeah, you have to know where the fish are, like the fishing grounds. Okay. This is interesting. Because I just like, I've always just been like, it's complete chance. And Mm -hmm. obviously, like, I know logically that can't be true. Because like, there are people that are good fishermen. (laughs) Yeah. Good anglers. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, it's it's so much to get your own world record um in for these huge large fish yeah um i mean me as a child it was hard for me to pull in a rock fish on my own and they're only like 20 inches i've never done it before it's it's um i got to cast a few it's really this year for the first time like once you have it on there it's really about like strength and Uh like knowledge so usually i would get it on and my grandfather would stand behind me and like reel back reel forward like pretty difficult <laughs> yeah this is interesting i just yeah. always thought like it's like you're going one direction yeah just you gotta bring the fish in bring it in bring it in yeah i'm learning a lot today it's weird i'll have to show you <laughs> questions this. i've had for years <laughs> i'll show you the super eight footage of helen after oh, we're done and maybe yes. we'll figure out a way to post it i don't okay. know if we can okay so um we just said they're left out of the papers because a lot of times they were on the boats with their husbands or just like they weren't bringing in as much readers so they put the pictures of the guys on the covers Mm -hmm. but we know they existed because their catches were weighed and photographed so there is no denying that the fish were there and that they caught them um two of the most important were chizzy farrington and helen lerner Sarah Chizzy Farrington was brought up in Manhattan and Long Island she went to Spence and then Farmington schools in 1934, she married a noted outdoorsman and author, Kip Farrington Jr. He has a Wikipedia page. She does not. And she is not even mentioned on his <laughs> Wikipedia page in the little blue column on the side. Now, she made a name for herself because, A, she was a female angler, but mostly because she could catch some big fish. Yeah. She could catch them. Under the pen name Chizzy Farrington, she wrote a book called Women Can Fish in 1951. And this is her biggest legacy. Um, Again, I tried to get my hands on it and just couldn't. It was a book that chronicled her experiences accompanying her husband on his fishing trips around the world. So they weren't just like fishing off the coast of Manhattan. From what I could tell in the table of contents, the first chapter is about the fishing trip they went on on their honeymoon. And then from there, there's a section on them fishing off the coast of Nova Scotia. And there's a chapter about them when they were harpooning blue marlins. And there's a chapter about them going after some tuna. So it's just like her journal diary of what it was like to be a female angler amongst a boat of, like, all men. I also, like, sometimes I get so jealous of, like, couples that have a very, very specific hobby that they like to do together. Oh, you yeah. know? Like, Casey and I love to spend time together but like 
I don't I golf don't with skateboard. Jake. Yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. I'll watch you all you want, do some tricks, but I can't do it. You know, right? I just like I love when couples have like these like we snowboard together but ultimately like he's so much better than I am so we can't even do that right the whole day together because Casey gets tired of the green circles well and also like Jake will run with me but he hates it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so it's like one of those things where it's like and we don't even like reading the same book at the same time because we don't like the same type of literature yeah (laughs) so (laughs) we work out together sometimes in the gym so that's it I feel like Casey and I, Casey and I tried to go on a trail run together one time, and it was a disaster. <laughs> You're like fighting it almost through. broke up. <laughs> He's like, "You wanted this," and I was like, "Not this." Like, you wanted to like laugh together yeah. on the trail. Um, okay, but how how exactly did she get the credentials to write this book? Well, she had been writing all through the 30s and 40s, and that book came out in the 50s. She had articles in harper's bazaar vogue and mademoiselle that's so cool that she wrote and again i couldn't get my hands on them (laughs) (laughs) the the couple traveled in the big game and adventurer circles including ernest hemingway and in those circles she was their equal like they treated her as an equal and as an equal angler in her time fishing she racked up 11 IGFA, International Game Fishing Association, world records. She has 11 world records so cool. from her time fishing. She was the first woman to catch a tuna on rod and reel, the first woman to catch two marlin in one day, and the first woman to land two broadbill swordfish in one day, one at 396 pounds and one at 659 pounds. It is so much reeling. I know. At one point, she caught a 674-pound tuna and was the first person, man or woman, to ever catch a tuna in those specific waters. To do this, like I said, the strength and the stamina has to be incredible. She also appeared in 11 films about big game fishing. That's so And she's not even mentioned on her husband's Wikipedia. No. <laughs> No, and she was in all the ads of the day for fishing gear. That's so crazy. The picture on the front of her book is, like, her sporting the fishing gear stuff. So she, like, was a really amazing – and that's why the drink's called Quiet Legend because it's, like, Mm -hmm. there's just nothing about her. Mm -hmm. I just don't think it's, like, as – like, it's not as sexy of a thing to be good at, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, She ended up dying in a hospital in Southampton in 2018 of pneumonia, and she was 84 years old, leaving behind a grandniece and a grandnephew. There's not a lot about Chizzy, and she's actually mislabeled on some of her photos online as, like, an, a, a different Fisher woman. So I am, like, the paperback of this book is about $9, so I'm going to order it and wait for it to come in, and okay. then if I, I'm going to add details, like, okay. later on to another episode, because I just don't want to miss anything, because I think she's pretty cool. Yeah. And then in 1998, she was inducted to the IGFA Hall of Fame, so Very she's cool. on their website in the Hall of Fame. And speaking of the IGFA, the founder was Michael Lerner, and his wife was Helen Lerner, who is also a fame, uh, a famous big game angler from that time period. Her husband introduced her to big game fishing, and she and he, again, traveled the world pulling these massive myths and legends just like from the sea. But she had another focus. While she was on the sea, 
she realized the importance of marine science. Mm. So every boat they went on, they took marine scientists and documentarians along with them. Oh, that's so cool. She was surrounded by men, but she was in the chair with the rod and reel at every opportunity. And it's important to remember that it's impressive now for women or men to catch these fish, to pull them in uh-huh. with the technology we have. They were like propping the rod on their stomach. Oh, my God. Sitting in the chair. It, it wasn't in like a plastic umbrella stand thing like <laughs> we have now. It's insane. It was just like digging into their like their thigh area. That's unreal. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like the, it was crazy. They were like super people, especially because there's also that crazy like some people superstitious about women being on boats oh, and they're like right. the traveling sirens. around the world. Mm-hmm. So Helen was down for anything. She was such an adventurer. She was in Nova Scotia. She was in the waters off of New Zealand. She was in the waters off of Peru. Um, She's an angler, an IGFA Hall of Famer as well, a marine biology supporter, and a female in an entirely almost male field at the time. But her husband respected her and propped her up and like, she did all the behind-the-scenes work for the IGFA. Like, that's the international organization that governs fishing. Mm-hmm. And she was, like, the secretary, like, that's the background so cool. organizer. He founded it, and it's still the governing body today. But they shared a mission for marine science. So when they caught their big fish, they would bring them in, and they would take them to the Museum of Natural History in New York, the, one, the big one in the, mm-hmm. in the uh, Night at the Museum movies. Mm-hmm. And the fish that are on the wall there, the plastered fish, are the ones they caught. That's so cool. They, like, donated all the things they found to yeah. these museums in New York. That's really impressive, too, because I did not realize how much those big fish are worth. Like, how yeah. much you can sell a 500-pound tuna for. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Which is unreal because cans of tuna are so cheap. (laughs) Well, that's not like bluefin. (laughs) It's not like Pokeball tuna. (laughs) Very different. Um, Yeah, it's like tuna steak at a fancy restaurant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, there's no Wikipedia page for Helen, which is distressing. Her husband, again, does have one, but she actually is mentioned in the little blue panel. But it doesn't say her first and last name. It just says Helen. (laughs) Helen. Okay. Uh, she and Chizzy planted like a path for the future, but what we don't realize is between then and now, there's always been female anglers. Like every time there's a really good female angler, everybody's like, she's the first one, but it's just not true. In 1954, a woman that goes by Mrs. Hughes, that's all I could find. No first name. (laughs) She doesn't deserve one. No, no. (laughs) Landed a 1,525-pound black marlin in Peru. 1,500-pound fish? That's more than my car. Is it? I don't know. I don't know either. Cars are like a ton. No. 2,000 pounds. 20,000, right? Nope. A ton is 2,000. I do this every time. (laughs) I think that a ton is 20,000 pounds. Maybe because it sounds like tonny. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> what is tunny nothing just like 20 without a w oh, maybe mm-hmm. I, I don't know. know but okay a ton is two thousand pounds yeah which is so what how much was this fish 1500 okay so that's almost a ton a one ton fish. yeah maybe this like weighs like a jetta 
Uh, <laughs> a Jetta, not a Subaru, but a Jetta. It's like, all right, three fourths of a ton fish. Yeah, crazy. It is. It's huge. How do you three pull quarter that up? ton fish? What does it even? Who? What happens then? How I, do you get it on the boat? Does the boat sink? Does, how much room does it take? Does the boat up? sink once it's I, on there? <laughs> Tess, know. these are all questions we need you to answer. It doesn't make in 1968 a woman named carolyn steiner caught a 199 pound pacific sailfish in panama and in 1982 k mulholland caught a 980 pound black marlin in australia i feel like this is like the danica patrick effect yeah it's like yes i feel like it's like Oh, we got one. And it's like, well, yeah, there's one very famous one, but there are all, not, none of these women are even very famous. Right. But it's like, yeah, but there are also like women that also are doing this all the time and like all over the world, not paying attention to them. I like, I don't know. I have never heard of any of these women. Me neither. And out of that frustration, uh-huh. three women decided that because they were sidelined, they were going to found the IWFA, the International Women's fishing association saying we want our own tournaments we want to be out on the water okay it was founded by a woman named Kay, a woman named Ginny, and a woman named denny and it's still going strong today the iwfa is something that all these women anglers are a part of i love it and while women are not as prevalent as men in angling they're way more now Currently in the U.S., 67% of anglers are men and 33% are women. Pretty good. Pretty good. However, 47% of first-time fishing participants in tournaments are women. Hmm. So almost 50% of newcomers are women at this point, which is a good sign because it means it's growing. Mm -hmm. Female anglers actually represent the largest growing market in the fishing industry. So people are trying to, like, make more female-centric clothing and gear, like, to be out on the boat and be fishing. You know, it's so funny. I almost did buy a pair of waders last year. Ooh. Did you? I did. I really wanted some because I was like, I'm going to fish next summer. (laughs) Casey was like, no, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) That's not going to happen. when are we going to fish? You should have been like, have you seen how well I'm doing with my French braiding? Come on. I'm doing the French braiding. I can fish. <laughs> Mainly because I did inherit one fishing pole from my grandfather. You can do it. I could do it, mm-hmm. but I just don't know how. But I, di- I was going to get the. I didn't. Glad I didn't because then they would just be sitting in my house. Yeah. You don't need waders. I you can do it off waders. a pier. I could get wet. Or do it off the Yeah, like just stand on a pier <laughs> or a bridge or something. You don't have to get in the water. So I did try and get a fishing license, and that was also confusing. So yeah, that also deterred me this year. <laughs> I feel like you can get one at like Walmart That's at the I counter. Thought. I don't know. Who knows? Um, one of these days I'll be yeah, an angler. One of these days. <laughs> me and my French braids will be out <laughs> in the high seas. Yeah, I'm glad you can French braid now. I'm really proud of you, actually. Thank you. So in the past, um, one of the biggest barriers to women in fishing is that, like, how can you purchase a boat if you can't even get a credit card? Oh, you know, so yeah. it was like you mm-hmm. women who were single literally had to be connected to a man um, who was a captain or owner of a boat. So there's a couple women that are about our mother's age, so they would have been like really in the industry like 35 years ago, a woman named Captain Jen Copeland, who is currently the senior editor for Marlin Magazine, 
and she ran a boat for 14 years and I saw her on a, a couple YouTube videos explaining some of these women and there's another woman named Betty Bowman who founded Ladies Let's Go Fishing in 1997 and she runs camps Katie <gasps> so you can learn how to fish and she's graduated 8,000 women that's really exciting so now that you know there's a place although I do not want to touch the fish I do want to okay. make that very clear I don't want okay. to touch the fish I've scaled a fish <gasps> I can't even. It's just like I sanding can, a I, piece of wood. I can't even do it on my salmon. I have to buy the. Yeah, I can box. understand that. It is. I it is grating when you think about it. it. Yeah. Okay. I understand um, that. So yes, I'm talking a big game about me wanting to fish. Well, you can fish and have somebody else dress it. I don't even want. I don't, I want to let it go. I want to. Oh. I don't even want to take it off of the hook. I well, you got to do that because otherwise wanna, it has the hook in its mouth. I'll reel it in. I want somebody else to take the fish I off see. of the hook, put it back in the water for me. Okay. That's my dream scenario. Okay. That can be done. That's it's something people do. Yeah. That's for fun fishing. Or maybe I just won't even put a hook on it at all. I'll just stand outside playing a little fishing with it. <laughs> just for the pics? Just for, for the, the gram. For the gram. <laughs> Speaking of the gram, <laughs> on a cursiary? Cursiary. Cursiary. On a cursiary glance. I looked up just like some women who are really spouting big game uh -huh. on Instagram. And I think I wanted to kind of close out with them and who they I are. So there's a woman named Ashler Ray, and she's a blogger and host of the World Fishing Network. Captain Alicia Vin Vinoski is was a United States Coast Guard captain and is now an angler. They All these women have pictures of them with all these huge fish mm. on their Instagrams. Cindy Sidneyjin. Uh, would fish off of oil rigs in Texas and promotes women's fishing gear. What? Off what? Of, it said off of rigs. So no, I think off of rigs in Texas, are they in? Well, the Gulf of Mexico coast, okay. the part that's on Gulf of Mexico. Got it. Just like, yeah, in the desert. They're just standing like, with a pole. <laughs> just standing with a pole. <laughs> like, I, know I'm not a, I know I'm not an angler. Right. But, but that not, doesn't seem right. That's not right. That's not right. <laughs> um, Samantha Gay, who created Fisher's uh, of Kids Angler Academy. So an academy for little kids to learn how to fish. Ooh. Rosemary White is a mom and angler of 20 years who just posts pictures of her fish online. Dee Kaminsky is a kayak fishing enthusiast. Sits in her kayak and fishes. You can learn how to do, that. do that. You I, have a kayak. I, I have a kayak. You don't have to have uh, I actually, we, last time we were kayaking, which is, uh, I don't know, like a month or so ago, we did see a guy with like an elaborate set up on his kayak to go fishing fish set up yes love so that. many poles wow what's not just doing what he's got to do yeah, and coolers <laughs> for his fish or his beer or his beer <laughs> or both of <laughs> those separate coolers um and then kelsey gallagher who right now holds eight igfa records on fly fishing and gives presentations on fly fishing around the world Wow. So this is a legacy that Chizzy and Helen set in the quiet background. And I love them and am so happy for them that they broke into this male sport. And I hope that just now when people look up their names, this show will be hashtagged and they can learn so. a little bit more about it because it took a lot of digging. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. All right. Well, thank you for that. I love talking about these women and the fishing. Um, but we have to get more drinks. Yeah, we do. All right, let's talk about galaxies. Oh my gosh, we're woefully undereducated <laughs> for this episode.
back. Part two. First Kiwi ever? <laughs> Question mark? I was like, this is a great opportunity for me to use Kiwi in a cocktail. Miss Krista, maybe tell us if it's the first Kiwi ever. <laughs> Please tell us. I believe so, um, which is funny because Kiwi. I've never used a Kiwi. <laughs> kiwi became my favorite fruit when I was a kid because I had one for the first time and I was like, this is the best fruit ever. Um, and then I ate a bunch as a child. Haven't had one since. Is it, so, so it's certainly not still top tier. <laughs> I just haven't had one. I'm like, when do I buy kiwi? They come sometimes in those like variety packs at Giant. That's true. That you have like a that breakfast. I still love them. I just like never think to buy them. Yeah, of course. Um, so anyways, this is a kiwi Cosmo. <laughs> Wow, we really did it today. A Kiwi Cosmo and a Dark and Stormy. We were we were lazy this week. That's true. We were like, you know what's a good cocktail that I kind of like? Let me just add one extra ingredient. Um, (laughs) And it's Kiwi because our subject is a famous New Zealander. Oh, New Zealand. New Zealander. Um, So it is an ounce and a half of vodka, an ounce of triple sec, um, oh, uh, cranberry juice, lime juice, and you muddle kiwi in the bottom of the shaker before you add all that in. And then you shake it all up and you garnish with a gorgeous little kiwi slice. <laughs> Cheers. Mm. Mm. It adds something so I different. like the kiwi in this. Wow. It's also interesting because since you're muddling it, it adds like a nice like pulpy texture if you like that. It's like that. a thicker yeah. Cosmo. Mm. Very interesting. Wow. I like it. I would order one of these yeah. at a New Zealand bar. Mm-hmm. All right. So what do you know about Beatrice Tinsley? <laughs> I know that her Google Doodle is her looking at the stars. So I'm assuming that's what she does. Well, As I eat my kiwi. <laughs> I know. I was like, I'm going to eat this kiwi because I didn't eat a slice in there. Yeah, she's an astronomer. Yeah. She... She's like an astronomer, astrophysicist, all of it. It's from New she's Zealand. very big science person. Good for her. All right. Um, so, Dr. Misty Bentz, cheers to you for suggesting this person. She was she's so cool. Our and... first ever patron. Yes, she was. Dr. Misty, we love you. And we got Jocelyn Bell to write her a note. Yes, <laughs> what is wrong with us? I uh, can't do that with Beatrice because she has passed away. Oh, but, bummer. Um, I got most of my information from Wikipedia, and it's so funny that you mentioned obituaries. Um, I got a lot of her information from an obituary. It's the New York Times Overlooked No More series, which I love this series. I That was Fannie Lou Frederick. That's where I got all her info. Mm-hmm. Because they also have a podcast, right? Do they? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Should have listened to the podcast. But I Googled her name in the podcast, and the New York Times didn't come up. Um, but Dennis Overby wrote her obituary. And I love this series because it's especially women who should have had an obituary at the time that they died. And, like, we just were not... <laughs> respecting women enough um so yeah so that was a really great resource in wikipedia um and then there was like another history podcast that i listened to but like i think we had all the same sources um mm-hmm. so anyways all right let's get into it beatrice hill was born on january 27th 1941 in chester england she was the middle of three daughters born to Jean and edward hill The family emigrated to New Zealand following World War II, first living in Christchurch, and then uh, they moved to New Plymouth, where her father, Edward, was a clergyman and later became the town mayor. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, Daddy. Uh, so that's all about all we know about her early life. But we do know that she was very, very smart. She was curious. She was fearless and a little rebellious. Beetle, as her friends and family called her, <gasps> which is such a cute name for Beatrice. Beetle. Well, it's B, isn't it B in the Div- Divergent series? No, they call her Tess. Beatrice. Who? In Divergent. The I don't main remember. character. Tess. What? Yeah, Beatrice is her name. Oh, you're right. They call her Tris. That's Tris. What they call her. That's yes. what it is. Okay, okay. so okay. Beetle's cute. Beetle's very, very cute. Um,. Beetle had a healthy disrespect for authority, which would influence her attitudes towards both science and religion. <laughs> and yes, girl. <laughs> Talk dirty to me. As she grew up, her two loves were music and mathematics. The, to Eminem. So <laughs> she just had like this very intelligent but creative spirit. Like she was always pulled in these directions. But rather than kind of choosing one over the other she kind of incorporated both of them which i think is so cool that's perfect um she had a lot of potential she had a natural talent for as we said math and music but also language and writing but when she was 14 years old she declared that she wanted to become an astrophysicist sure i mean who would not (laughs) say that at 14 so she began aggressively pursuing that career path and she won a junior scholarship to study chemistry, math, and physics at Canterbury University in Christchurch. She was 20 years old when she graduated with her Master's of Science Stop. with first-class honors in physics. 20 years old 20. with a Master's in physics? It doesn't... It's crazy. So she would have had to start college at 16, graduate mm-hmm. in three years, get her Master's. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to do it. Because I graduated with my bachelor's at 20. Yeah. It's crazy. And that's only because I have a late birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Only because I cheated the system. (laughs) Um, Also, and you were very, very smart and hardworking. Um, Hardworking. (laughs) (laughs) I jumped through the hoops. I wouldn't say smart. Um, Also, in the same year that she got her master's, she married physicist and university classmate Brian Tinsley. But unfortunately, so he had graduated first and gotten a job at the university. So when they got married and then she graduated, she applied for a job at the university. And they were like, oh, I'm sorry. You're married to someone who already works here. So you can't work here. Spouses are not allowed to work together. Ugh. I was like, wow. Wish I would have known that before. <laughs> yeah, I would have just not married him. I know. <laughs> we would have lived in sin. <laughs> So in 1963, uh, Brian actually got another job. He was hired by the Southwest Center for Advanced Studies, now the University of Texas at Dallas. So they made the very big move from Christchurch, New Zealand to Dallas, Texas. That's a big move. Whoa. That's literally across across the the world. world. Yep. (laughs) But this location also was not suiting her. She was relegated to the role of faculty wife. And she scandalized the university by refusing to host a welcome tea. They're like, but this is what you do. And she goes, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I don't give a shit. I don't want to have a tea. Yeah. She's like, also, I'm from New Zealand where we make tea properly and your tea sucks. Yeah. I bet she said that. I don't know if she actually did. She said it out loud. I don't know about New Zealand tea Verbatim. Culture, but... <laughs> verbatim. She said that. I heard her. I was there, actually. You were there. Uh, Beatrice was frustrated. She was yet again in an environment where she could not use her big giant brain. And she was like, 
I just, I need to go and pursue my PhD. So she enrolled at the University of Texas, Austin, which is not super close to Dallas. No, it isn't. Because frankly, there is no such thing as close to in Texas. No, it's all the so cities big. are seven hours apart. I c- being a person in the mid-Atlantic Northeast, I, I, I know that understand. there are two different regions, but like, I can't understand that. Like, I literally drove to another state and back today. I could get to <laughs> Massachusetts in the time you could get from Dallas to Austin. It's <laughs> like, it's crazy. I hate it. Um, it was 200 miles away from home. So the schedule was she would fly to Austin on Tuesday stay there until Friday and then take a bus back. We've gotten so much of this recently. Yeah. Uh-huh. Of this like working woman. I It's so ridiculous. But yeah, it does remind me a lot of Julia Morgan. And it's so much of like, this sounds to me so much like opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like there were probably so many other women with these huge brains and big motivation, but just didn't have the like privilege to be able to do that. It's so yeah. sad. It is sad, you know? Um, like, look how much we could have, we lost out on. And also, like, I think that Beatrice had a very, like, fuck politeness policy. Yeah. Where she was like, I know that, like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And, like, you don't want me to succeed in this, but I'm going to do it. Like, mm. and we'll get it more into her fuck politeness in a minute. But, but yeah, but I think that's also another part of it is she was like, they're trying to roadblock me and I... I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to host your welcome tea. I'm going to go find a program where I can get my PhD. Love it. So she was the only woman in the astronomy program at UT Austin, and her PhD study was in the simple subject matter of the evolution of the universe. Oh, that old thing. (laughs) I mean, like, it could have been in string theory. Like, what is she even doing? I don't know. Evolution of the universe. (laughs) And because Beatrice is a smarty, smarty pants and a very hard worker, she finished her PhD in two years. Shut up. One third of the time it takes most people. Also, she was 25. That makes me want to vomit. (laughs) I know. It makes me sick to your stomach. Like, 25 with her PhD. Yeah, in the expansion of the universe. Also, yeah, I mean, also in <laughs> it's physics. It's like a really difficult subject. Field. Yeah, like mine is, I was 29, but mine was in what I was doing, like right. at the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like not like what happened to the earth billions of years ago or what's currently happening to the right. expansion of the universe. Who, like, who even understands what that is? She does. Uh, and in her papers, she received marks of 99% and 100%. She was the first student in the department to achieve marks over 80. What? (laughs) That's how smart she is. She's a regular Beatrice. Not a regular Albert Einstein. No. She's a regular Beatrice. A regular Beatrice. Beatrice Hall. Wait, no, she got married. Kinsley. So she's at the university. She's doing postdoctoral research. And she gets a part-time job teaching because no one will hire her full-time. And in 1967, she attends a lecture at the university. A man named Alan Sandage, arguably the most important astronomer in the world at this time, was at the university giving a speech on the fate of the universe. And frankly, his idea was pretty bleak. His theory was that the galaxy was doomed to collapse 100 billion years from now. Beatrice knew about his theory. So before he started to speak, she stood up, went to the podium and said, everything you are about to hear is a crock of shit. Yes, girl. Yes, girl. She goes, this guy, 
misread the light of distant galaxies and with it the fate of the universe. I don't understand what that means. But Sandage was, of course, furious that this 26-year-old girl would deign to disagree with him. But history would go on to prove that our friend Beatrice was correct. Yes, girl. (laughs) So the general scientific thought for quite some time had been this. Galaxies were constant. They didn't change. So if you were measuring them and keeping track, you could basically predict, you know, the end times. The universe was slowing down and would one day fall back together in what they called the big crunch. So that's what she was saying, I I think, about she's like, you're misreading the light. Mm. She's like, you're looking at as simply dimming and going away. And she goes, that's not what's happening. You're misreading it. It's Mm -hmm. a movement. So I just found out this week when Uh I was watching a show, the only way that we know that other other suns are too bright for us to know that they have planets, other stars. So the only way that we know that they have planets is when a planet goes in front of it and dims it out for a little bit. And then they have to time it out. That's what she's doing. Well, I had no idea that that's the way we figured out yeah that that stars had planets yeah and that's why it blows my mind this is like what her speciality is is like reading these galaxies that are crazy far away that's like what wilhelmina fleming did with the bleep the spinning Uh bleep thing Mm -hmm. so beatrice's research led her to believe that this was not true right she said no galaxies do change they're not constant stars dim over time or they can evolve into something else. So he's thinking that star is at the same, like that star is only dimming. And she goes, well, no, some stars get brighter. Some stars do this. Some stars do that. Like, she's like, you can't just say that it's doing this one thing. Cause the, uh, like the universe is constantly changing around. Right. Us. And there's like different types of stars, right? There's like yeah. a, a dwarf star and a giant and a white mm-hmm. dwarf and a blue dwarf or whatever we learned in sixth grade science. Sure. So rather than the universe imploding in the big crunch, she argued that the universe would actually just continue to expand forever. Hmm. And Sandage chose to ignore her thesis. <laughs> he goes, well, you're wrong. And she was like, I'm not, but okay. know, more on that. Sure. <laughs> more on that. Um, <laughs> obviously, in the midst of all of this <laughs> stuff, uh, including her astonishing 200-mile commute, Uh, Beatrice's personal life is also expanding. Unfortunately, her and her husband uh, discovered that she could not get pregnant. So the couple decided to adopt a boy, Alan, and later a girl named Teresa. So she has these two kids, a crazy commute. She's literally discovering the secrets of the universe and traveling to tell other people about what she's researching, including a trip to the University of Maryland. Burr, 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 burr. Had to include that college part, uh, and she even went to Santa Cruz, California, for a year when she got a fellowship at the Lick Observatory. That's not as cool as the University of Maryland. No, it's not, but that's fine. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so, in 1972, she and three young colleagues, James Gunn and J. Richard Gott of Princeton, and David Schram of the University of Texas, they kind of band together and set out to summarize what they thought was the growing evidence of beatrice's theory which is that the universe is going to expand forever so they were these young bucks are like we're in on this let's gather the evidence and start like you know putting out more papers to like prove your theory yeah so david schramm said we were sort of young turks wanting to upset the establishment Ooh, (laughs) 
Beatrice was the glue recalled gun who said that she had done most of the writing for the paper, which they titled An Unbound Universe? <laughs> With a question mark. Oh, there's a question mark on mm -hmm. the end. That's bold. Mm -hmm. Universe? Um, so they <laughs> finished their paper in 1974. It was rejected by one journal, but eventually published in the Astrophysical Journal. And a year later, in 1975, after they published their paper, that guy Sandage concluded, based on his own research into the matter, that, yes, he could now say officially that the universe was indeed expanding rather than slowing oh, down. Oh, shut, shut up. up. <laughs> I have a question. Yes. So the title of the paper, The Unbound Universe. Uh-huh. How do you say it with the three proper ends to the sentence? So there's the period, the exclamation okay. point. You said the question mark. How do you okay. say it with a period? The unbound universe. How do you say it with an exclamation point? The unbound universe. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. I just needed to understand. This. <laughs> um, and that's also like a big part of her whole thing is she's like, we're thinking of the universe as this like controlled thing. And she's like, it is literally endless. Like, she's the person that is like, no, no, no. <laughs> there, there is no end to the universe, which gives me a slight panic attack when I think about it. <laughs> so I can't really think about it too much. Um, <laughs> it makes me feel so tiny. But she thought of it as like a really positive thing. She goes, no, don't you understand? She's like, the universe is endless! <laughs> Exclamation point! She's like, this is so exciting. She was like, it's eternal. She goes, anything is pot. Like she just like really took the positive side of this when everyone else in the scientific world was saying, we're doomed. The universe is going to implode. We're all dying. And like, she is taking the, from what I understand, maybe I'm totally off base, but like, I think she's taking the other side of things and that like, we are endless. We are eternal, which I, I like, I love. Um, so, that same year, 1975, when Sandage, you know, concludes that the universe is expanding, Beatrice is awarded the Annie Jump Cannon Award for po outstanding postdoctoral research for her discoveries. Alum, HRTR alum. Hi, Annie. <laughs> I also was, I felt bad. I was getting really mad because people were calling it the Annie Cannon Award. I was like, Please, please call her by her full proper name. She's Annie a three-namer. She's a three-namer. She is. Who? Nobody says Neil Harris. No. You say Neil Patrick Harris. Exactly. That's insane. John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> <laughs> Prince. So. That's just one name. <laughs> again, I have a hard time explaining what she was doing, but the important thing that you need to know is that her work formed the basis for contemporary studies of galactic evolution like i was saying like we have a much better idea of the size of the universe because of her but no matter how much success she was reaching she felt like she still wasn't being taken seriously in texas she complained to her father that she felt quote rejected and undervalued intellectually but someone was paying attention to her work the girl who was refused a full-time job in texas they didn't even look at her application to head the astronomy department. Did not look at it. She was offered a job at Yale. Of course she was, because the <laughs> Northeast is great. Oh, <laughs> um, so she got a job, and I think, uh, like, 74 as a assistant professor. And then in 1978, she 
was made the first female astronomy professor in the university's history. Amazing. Amazing. So her position, as she wrote to her father, gave her a, quote, sense of hope and power over the future that has escaped me for years. But there was a big problem with this. running up that hill. Her husband also had a fantastic job in science in Texas, and she was being offered a fantastic job in science in Connecticut. You know, I don't know what they are on, you know, they're not opposite sides of the country. They're opposite regions. They're very far away. So there was a big decision to make. Would one person give up their dream job to keep the family together? Or were they split up and one person keep the kids? And they chose the latter. Beatrice and Brian decided to divorce. And he said, I'll keep the kids in Texas so they don't have to have their lives uprooted. And he was like, go and focus on your dreams. He goes, this is your chance to become a truly full-time scientist. He's like, I'll take care of the kids. But he could have found a job in Connecticut. He could have. That's the thing. Yes. But they were already living apart half the week, and he was full-time exactly. dadding anyway. So it's like she was already not very not home very much. She was traveling a lot, and I this kind of just, like, made the most sense, you know? And it's annoying because, like, Again, if she was in a, a, man, a man's position, like they wouldn't think twice about her taking the job. Right. And yet it's like this whole thing. And Beatrice, of course, agonized over this decision. And she tried to make up for it by having the kids visit Connecticut often and, of course, traveling to see them as well. But it was difficult for everyone involved. Her daughter, Teresa, would later comment, comment on this. She said, She was given an ultimatum that, in my opinion, was unfair. Choose family or a career. But that's how it was back in those days. Women were supposed to be homemakers. I am proud that she stood her ground and followed her career. She followed her dream, a dream created when she was a very young lady, her dream to be a scientist. Well, that's good because a lot of times we hear kids that say that they feel like a little bit betrayed. Mm Mm-hmm. So I like that her daughter at least understands that, like, this was of the times and her mom didn't want to leave her. Right. And I will say here, too, that, of course, she was a scientist back in Texas. It's not like she was a, you know, a a chef. Yeah. (laughs) She was like, I want to work in a lab. And they're like, no, you're a chef. You know, she was doing scientific work, but a big part of being a scientist is having other people respect your work. And that. And for like that is just how it is, you know, like and that was what was truly being achieved in this move. She goes, yes, I'm discovering all these things, but like no one is fucking listening to me down here. And also like when you're an academic, you're expected to publish a certain amount of papers every mm-hmm. year. So it's like she now has to they mm-hmm. have to give her space. Yeah. To say things. Yes. Yeah. And in fact, the whole reason she was offered the job at Yale was Richard Larson from the astronomy department. He was like. We got to get Beatrice in here. Like, she is on to something. She's so good at this. She's so smart. And he was her, like, male ally being like, we have to bring her into the department. She's, you know, super valuable. Um, And she didn't waste any time at Yale. In 1977, she organized and hosted a symposium that brought together the world's experts on the evolutions of stars and galaxies. And... She and Larson transcribed the proceedings, which have now become, quote, a classic reference for researchers. So, like, that symposium 
people are still talking about it. The notes mm. are still being used for like the work that they're doing now, which is so cool. But Beatrice would not be enjoying her dream job for very long. Oh, no. In 1978, she discovered that the lump she had noticed on her leg was cancer. It was melanoma. She was devastated but still persisted with her work doing research and publishing papers, even though she was getting weaker and weaker. During her brief 14 years in the university world, she authored and co-authored over 100 scientific papers. And even right at the end of her life, she was still writing and publishing her findings. Beatrice confided in Larson, saying that she thought that this cancer was punishment for leaving her kids to pursue her career. Oh, that's so sad. That's what people, that's what a lot of women said too when they couldn't get pregnant. Yeah. Like, I'm doing something wrong. She literally said it's, quote, nature's retribution for being a bad mom. Mm. Which is like, that's so sad. No, it's not. And I hate that she thought that. Yeah, cancer just sucks. It It just really sucks and it doesn't discriminate. Right. You know, like, oh God, it's just such, it's terrible. So in 1979, her daughter Teresa moved to New Haven full-time to enjoy what time she had left with her mother. Uh, Teresa recalled playing after school in the halls of the astronomy department at Yale and her mother helping her with homework while laying in the infirmary. (laughs) When she was getting close to the end, Beatrice wrote a poem. Let me be like Bach, creating fugues, till suddenly the pen will move no more. Let all my themes within of ancient light of origins and change and human worth, let all their melodies still intertwine. Evolve and merge with growing unity, ever without fading, ever without a final chord, till suddenly my mind can hear no more. Beatrice Tinsley died from cancer on March 23, 1981, at the age of 40. Wow. And even though she lived many places in her life, England, New Zealand, Texas, Her ashes are buried at Yale in the campus cemetery, leaving her among the people who truly saw her value. She has a stamp. She has many awards. She has scholarships and an asteroid belt and a whole mountain named after her. Yes, there's a Mount Tinsley in New Zealand, which is so cool. That is great. We've only had a couple mountain women. Only a couple. But no matter how many things attempt to make her name last forever, the ultimate irony is that the person who discovered the eternal nature of our universe only lived to 40 years. And like we say, every time a female scientist, especially these women, die too young, I so wish we could have seen what she was going to discover next. And that's the story of Beatrice Tinsley. Isn't that crazy? I would have called her Tins, honestly. Tins. That's a good one. It's a really cute nickname. That's a good last name nickname. It is. All right. Are you ready to talk about these two women? Yeah, let's do it. All right. In a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay. I like that they were both wives of people who did the same thing that they did. I wrote that too. And I think it's interesting that, like, there are, like, I was just saying in your story, I was like, how fun is it to, like, have someone who's into the same hobby as you? But then when it turns into a career, I think that's when things get a little sticky. (laughs) Well, and I think, like, I think these, I think that the anglers in my story were making, like, career money off of being anglers, but I think they didn't have to compete against one another to go to the same fishing ground. Mm -hmm. Like, there are 
only so many professor jobs and there are only so many reputable universities we yeah. see this with our cousin dan mm -hmm. like he wants to live near his family and cannot yeah he literally can't yeah. because there aren't positions especially like post-covid when they're cutting teaching positions mm -hmm. there aren't positions for him to work in and yeah. that made her life um beatrice's life very difficult it's it's interesting because her and her husband being in the same field made her made her life really hard and it made all the angler women <clears throat> it made their life a lot easier because like there are they're just doing the same thing because they can literally be in the same boat yeah <laughs> yes they can't be they literally were refused to be in the same university even though they have the same credentials she probably got better test scores than him and yet she is being denied a job because of the rampant sexism in the field which is so funny because like you would think that fishing would be so more overtly sexist yeah <laughs> and it just isn't it isn't and i think it, it reminds me of um like very co-ed sports kind of mm. like skateboarding where mm -hmm. like when you see someone land a good trick whether they're eight and they landed their first kickflip or they are you know a girl who's 25 mm -hmm. or a guy that's a teenager everybody's like oh yeah that was good yeah. you know what i mean it's like i think that's how this fishing community is where yeah. it's like she's on the boat anyway and exactly. honestly i didn't find evidence of this but most likely they the woman was manning the kitchen mm -hmm. in the boat if they're staying out long periods of time mm -hmm. um and it's just like yeah but they got to they got to be in the saddle you know yeah well and it's interesting because again like if we're talking about like kind of like division it's like the angler women they got to travel for their work but also like with their husbands like yeah. with their spouses with the people that they cared about maybe they loved the crew that they were on i would hope so sure. i would love that it's my dream um for them <laughs> but beatrice's traveling always had to be solo if she wanted to pursue her career she had to remove herself from the family and it it but also it's like none of these women could have normal housewife lives which is so interesting to me because like even though the fisherwomen are out there with their husbands, it must be incredibly difficult to bring a baby out on the high seas. That or water to, like, is even choppy. Have a, even have a like intimate relationship when you're yeah. in a boat cabin with ten other people. Yeah, like it's interesting to me that again, like they're working in the same field as their husbands, but they are living these different lives than like every other woman on the planet and like they right. have to make that decision i'm imagining that like i don't know if any of these fisherwomen had kids but i'm sure the topic came up and the topic came up of how is this going to affect my career mm -hmm. because women always have to consider that and like well, men rarely do and because things like daycare didn't exist back then <laughs> yeah. so like there wasn't somebody you could just drop your kid off with it had to be a mother or an yeah. aunt or a like a elderly female cousin well and like long-term <laughs> child care it's like hey we're gonna go fishing in peru this week yeah so like can you watch the kids for the next month right yeah that's crazy <laughs> like, what so it's i just i think it's interesting that these are both these really wild fields that are very specific they're <laughs> and you adventurous to, and they are not just <laughs> careers but they are lifestyles right. university is a lifestyle if you're going to be in it to win it especially like scientific university yes. world
if it's you're just, gonna work in academia it's yes. crazy yeah crazy and especially like the, the the astronomy department and the, you know all these like physics and these scientific things it's like you can only observe certain galaxies from certain parts of the world right well <laughs> what's interesting is like i i wrote down that we have one group of women or one woman studying the stars mm -hmm. and then another studying <gasps> the ocean these things that we know nothing about. the things we know nothing about and yeah. she was very uh helen was very interested in marine biology and mm -hmm. letting us know more about the unknown mm -hmm. um on one of the show's documentaries I watched recently, they said if we're, if we're studying the universe, it would be like taking one eight-ounce glass of water out of the ocean. That's what we know. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's all we know about the universe. And, like, there's people who are like, we know more about outer space than the ocean. And it's like, yeah, maybe. Isn't that crazy? But, like, yeah, these women were trying at, like, a big ideas. Big, yeah. big ideas. They had super big ideas. And I also, like... You have to have kind of an adventurous spirit to do either of these things, fishing, exploring the universe. And you have to have some sort of belief in something bigger than yourself, whether you believe that that 1,500 pound tuna is out there for you to get or whether the next galaxy is going to be this shape or that shape. You yeah. know, it's like there's just this belief in this world out there that is so they like they believe it's in their grasp and i i love that about them and like they're paving the way for other women in their field you know which i also really love and they're not doing it for that reason like right. i love it they when, weren't like, selfless no they weren't you know and i and i love when I love it when we come across people who do things not because like it's like, well, I want to be the first woman this. I want to be the first woman that, which like is also a very great and noble thing. Super cool. But these women are like, if they were asked, like, if you weren't a fisherwoman, what would you be if you weren't an angler? And it's like, I don't want to be anything else. Right. This is what I want. This like, is it. This is it. Like Beatrice, like there is no other option for me. I've been wanting to be an astrophysicist since I was 14. Yeah. There is no other option for me. And them pushing that and pushing it and pushing it has made it easier for women to come after them. And there were women before them. She won an award named after a woman and is still being right. Discriminated against. <laughs> discriminated like, against. Yeah. Just like she got an award named after a female scientist. Yeah. You know? And it's like these women are catching big fucking fish and still have no Wikipedia pages of their own. It's insane. Yeah. Nobody nobody cares to have written some of this down. No. And I think a lot of that has to, it's like funny because socioeconomic status afforded them the right to be on the boat. Uh-huh. But it also takes away from it because people don't respect fishing the way right. they respect astrophysics. Mm -hmm. And it was the exact opposite for um, Beatrice. Mm -hmm. It was like, it's going to be harder for you to get into the field because yes. we expect it to be only men. But once you do something, we will record it. Yeah, exactly. It's like the economic status flip-flops their situations. Yeah. Mm. This is really <clears throat> an interesting comparison. Very and interesting. And I loved it. Oceans, oceans and skies. <sighs> All right. Poseidon and Zeus, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you like to toast this evening? So I'm actually going to toast my grandmother Aww. because every time we went out on their boat, I, every time I tell stories, I say I went fishing with my grandfather, mm. but she was always 
there. Mm -hmm. She set the alarm for us to get up early enough. She packed the coolers with the sodas and the sandwiches. And, like, she would drive the boat when my grandfather was helping. And, like, she was always there. And I just always assumed I was fishing with my grandfather Mm -hmm. and didn't, like, take into account that she was an angler of her own. But my grandfather knew because the name of his boat was the Mary Dell. So I just want to, I want to cheers to my grandmother who was an angler of her own right. All right. I am going to toast the people who think past our galaxy. I feel like sometimes I have a very limited mindset. Like I'm not an artist. I'm not a creative person. I don't know how people draw things out of their mind. <laughs> it's just, it is not something that comes naturally to me. So I want to toast those people because I feel, I feel like Beatrice is this gorgeous, has this really gorgeous mind that could think scientifically and creatively. And I feel like that's why she is so incredible. Mm. So cheers. Cheers. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So I decided that I was going to promo something that I promoted before because mm-hmm. of your story. <gasps> so the movie Jungle Cruise on <laughs> Disney Plus is so cute. And it has this vibe of a woman trying to be an academic and mm-hmm. not being loud and like having to go through men. And this is Emily Blunt, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is fantasy and there is action and there is adventure and obviously it's based on a disney movie ride so there are jokes about that there is um there are lgbtq plus characters there is it's just such a good film yeah and like i saw it in the theater with my girls and then we like came home and like bought it on disney plus so that jay could see it i were like love that it's so good <laughs> now it's free on disney plus but it was like one of those things where it was like just post covid so they were still doing like that dual release thing mm-hmm. And um, I just want to re-say it because I think, like, we recommend things every week. And sometimes I'll listen back and be like, oh, yeah, Katie recommended that podcast. And I never listened to it, but I was so interested. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I want to, like, re-say it because this one was really good. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is I'm going to recommend something that you had recommended a long time ago. You did that with I Lessons just, in Chemistry a couple weeks I ago. I did, <laughs> and I'm doing it again with the other book that I read recently. <laughs> um, it Ends With Us by Colleen Hoover. Oh. I... So you had recommended this book a long time ago. It's on your Audible, which is how I accessed it. <laughs> and I wanted to read it because I had seen these things online that were like, Colleen Hoover is canceled. Like, she's so problematic. And I was like, why? And they're like, well, it's because, like, her book romanticizes abuse, you know? And so I was like, I'm going to read this book, see what's going on. Right. And I... <laughs> just want to say that I don't feel that way no she did a great job and she and it comes from a very personal side of her own history like Mm -hmm. she was like some of these scenes were literally from the abuse that my mother faced and like me being like the one like it ended with me like yeah and like that's why I wrote this book like because of that you know so I don't know I just feel like it does represent the complicated relationship of people that are in toxic abusive relationships of like I know that you have very it's like there's that age-old question of like well why don't you just leave and it's like yes of course that of course you want to ask that but like sometimes it is very complicated 
Well, and like you have actual feelings for this person who is doing these terrible things to you. I was reading like, the book like, give him one more chance. I know. Give him one more like, chance. Yeah. And it's like. But then you're like, wait, wait. No, no, no. Get out of there. Like, and you're like, I'm, I'm just the person reading it. I'm not yeah. even in there. So I, I think it's a great <laughs> book to understand how complicated these relationships to be. You know, maybe there's other things I don't know about Colleen Hoover as a person that like, you know, whatever. But like I thought, and especially if you listen or read to like, she does a personal note at the end of the book. Yeah. Explaining why she chose everything that she chose to do. Right. And I thought that that was really impactful. So I loved this book. I think that it's a great read and I think that it's interesting and I think that it's a really fucking good book. Um, I am also now joining the group of people that, who are worried about the film adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> We're all worried. Because those outfits worried. are crazy. <sighs> they're putting her in. Um, all right. Well, we love you guys. Join us next week for more Herstory fun. We're continuing our request season. So mm-hmm. this ought to be a really good time. And uh, join us everywhere. And if you want, for as little as a dollar a month, you can join us on Patreon. You can listen to us talk about our personal lives in great detail it's a tragedy (laughs) it's a tragedy if you're not there um so (laughs) join us there and if you can't do that then please just leave us a rate or a review on apple podcast we haven't had one in quite some time we've been at 81 for a little bit now so wow come on guys get on it uh we love you and never forget that well-behaved women don't stay on earth you're ocean or ocean or sky baby ocean or sky and you really make history (laughs) (laughs) bye You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.